How's it going, Miami Marlins fans? Welcome to the first episode of the Locked On Marlins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Aram Layton, and I'm excited to be bringing you the only daily Miami Marlins podcast covering everything from the latest news, roster moves, and everything in between. Of course, a lot of prospect coverage as well. It's going to be an exciting 2020 season for the Marlins, a big year for them to take that step in the right direction. Really busy offseason. That's the first thing I want to talk about here on this show. I'm going to cover a little bit of everything as it is the first episode. I will get into some prospects in the second half of the show because a lot of prospect lists have come out. The Marlins seem to unanimously have five top 100s, which seems about right. A couple fringe guys that I want to talk about as well. But first, we'll start with the offseason moves. This is a much improved Marlins team across the board. First, I want to talk about the outfield. The outfield is night and day to me. I think that's the most dramatic change you're going to see from 2019 to 2020. Corey Dickerson, the first big addition, probably the biggest splash of the offseason for the Marlins. That or Jonathan VR, it's a toss-up. I think VR is right there with him, but we'll start with Corey Dickerson. Dickerson, a guy that has shown he can hit for average, he can hit for power. He had an abbreviated season last year due to some injuries, but Still slugged 12 home runs in just 78 games split between the Pirates and the Phillies. And he's a guy that is really versatile, can hit pretty much anywhere in the lineup towards the top. You can put him in the two spot or you could put him in the middle of the order. And Don Mattingly actually said something interesting on MLB Network. The fact that Dickerson says he can change his swing to however he wants to play in that time. If you want some more power from him, he can adapt and hit for some more power. If you want him to hit for more average, he can hit for more average. And he's shown that throughout his career, at times hitting as many as 27 home runs, other times hitting as high as 304, 312 in a season even, actually, in 2014. And he didn't really benefit from the Coors effect that much where he started his career. He showed that he can hit pretty much anywhere. And an all-star in Tampa Bay in 2017. And probably the biggest signing the Marlins have made in the last couple years. And a guy that's definitely worth being excited about. And instantly creates a spark in this Marlins lineup. Then you look at Jonathan VR, A guy that may not slide into the outfield. But I'm still going to mention him with the outfielders. Because he has the capability to play out there. Uh, Reports are from what I've heard from other people that have watched him in his time with the Brewers where he did play in the outfield. He was not fantastic out there, but a guy that can still do it. Uh, I think it makes more sense from the jump to have him at third and Brian Anderson in the outfield, given how good Brian Anderson is at both spots. And VR is not a liability at the hot corner. Of course, if Aizen Diaz struggles at second base, VR can slide to second and Anderson comes back home to third as well. But With VR, another top-of-the-order caliber bat. People tend to be a little bit loose with the term five-tool player, but VR is as close to a five-tool player as you're going to find. It hits for a little bit of power, has plus speed, can play multiple positions, and hits for a pretty good average, but the strikeouts are a little bit of an issue with him. He needs to cut those down. I think he was almost at 200 last year, and not what you want for a top-of-the-order guy. But other than that, Really productive year for the Orioles that kind of went underappreciated given the struggles over in Baltimore and a lot of the focus on Chris Davis during that 0 for 50 something streak that was happening over there in Baltimore. And they're in some tumultuous times as well. Uh, And the Marlins fans know how that feels. But this year should be different for Miami. I'm not saying playoffs, but when you look at the additions through the offseason, you can see how this team could make a 10, 15 game jump. 
and really surprise a lot of people across the league. You look at the rest of the outfield now, Matt Joyce was the most recent signing. He's a guy that probably won't crack the starting lineup. He could make a lot of spot starts as a lefty off of the Marlins bench. You know how the organization really likes their left-handed hitters. And Matt Joyce had a bit of a career resurgence last year with the Braves, hitting over 300 in limited action, but showed flashes of power and just adds versatility and experience to the team. And quite frankly, you look at the outfielders that made starts last year, Rosel Herrera, Cesar Puello, Curtis Granderson, he would have been one of the best outfielders most of the season. Peter O'Brien also just, just a revolving door there in the Marlins outfield last year. Matt Joyce would have been better than most of them, probably would have been a starter for most of the season in a lineup that really lacked left-handed bats. And I think the Matt Joyce signing is also a little bit of an indicator that the Marlins really just can't count on Lewis Brinson to produce this season. I think it's pretty much do or die for Lewis, and he's a great guy and a guy you want to root for, but it's been really tough for him at the big league level. And I think the Marlins are hoping he can put it together this year. He's been working hard, but obviously something the Marlins can't count on. And then you look at Garrett Cooper, who when he's on the field is is great. A really productive guy that can hit for some power, hit for average as well. But Don Mattingly point blank came out and said, we can't count on this guy to stay healthy and we have to plan accordingly. And I don't know if I totally agree with going public against Garrett Cooper like that. I shouldn't say against Garrett Cooper, but you know, voicing the lack of confidence in him. But it is true. It is something that the Marlins can't count on. It's just been proven time and time again. You know, a little bit of it was bad luck getting hit with that pitch on the hand, but otherwise he is just constantly banged up. So you hope that Garrett Cooper can stay healthy as well. But the truth is the Marlins have a backup plan. It's very clear. Even Matt Kemp has a chance to make this roster. I never thought I'd say Matt Kemp is a Marlin, but He's going to push really hard to try and be a Marlin this year as well. So there's a lot of options for the Marlins, and there's going to be a lot of guys duking it out here in spring training. Uh, Harold Ramirez, who seemed like a virtual lock for the 2020 roster during the 2019 season, is going to have to fight for ABs, and that's how you want it. Competition's a good thing, and it's refreshing to see the Marlins have that instead of starting 14 different outfielders like they did last year. Next, I want to shift over to the bullpen. Uh, The bullpen... While not as dramatic of an increase in quality, it definitely is a lot better. I think they trim the fat. Obviously, getting rid of Wei Yin Chen is is an addition by subtraction right away. But then you look at some of the other guys they picked up. Yimmy Garcia, not an impactful, impactful arm, but a solid middle reliever that is an upgrade over a lot of the options Marlins had last year. Brandon Nitzler, I love that signing. He could slate in and end up closing games for the Marlins this coming year and instant upgrade in that bullpen. You look at some other options. Sterling Sharp now is a long reliever who the Marlins selected in the Rule 5 draft. Ryan Stanek really struggled after he came over in that trade with the Rays. I expect him to rebound a little bit. Adam Conley is another one that just really did not look good last year. He can't be worse. I don't usually use that logic in sports, but he really cannot be worse than last year. So you hope that he can contribute in some way, but if he's not able to, another southpaw that could fit into the bullpen is Stephen Tarpley. Tarpley came over from the Yankees in that James Nelson trade, and Tarpley showed high strikeout numbers in the minor leagues Those strikeout numbers didn't slow down in the bigs. He was just a little susceptible to the long ball. And 
now going from Yankee Stadium to Marlins Park, that of course is going to instantly help. And Tarpley, I liked that trade. I think that was a good trade for the Marlins. He didn't really fit in to that Super Bullpen the Yankees have over there. And the Marlins did not really see a path where James Nelson, who at one point was the Marlins minor league player of the year, just has really hit a wall and it's been tough to see. But at one point was the most exciting player in the Marlins system, which shows you how far the system has come. And we'll get into that next. But I want to talk a little bit more about Nitzler before we move on. Nitzler had one of the best seasons of his career at age 34 in Chicago, pitching high leverage situations. And he really looked good most of the year in a team that struggled with the bullpen. A 2-6 DRA, the FIP looked good at 3-5-6. He only threw 57 innings, struck out 48, but was able to induce a lot of weak contact, kept the ball in the yard, only surrendered five home runs, and good command only walked 13. That's refreshing for the Marlins bullpen that really needed an anchor in the back of it. And if he's not closing games, he'll be setting them up. And we'll see if Steckenrider ends up closing games, if Stanek ends up closing games. The Marlins have options, and they can try each guy out, almost audition them, and ultimately decide from there. I don't think Urania will be a closing option any longer, but also Urania, if he can put it together as a bullpen arm, could really help there as well and be a bit of a Swiss Army knife for this Marlins team, making spot starts if need be, and you hope he can really harness that elite stuff that he has he just has not been able to get the strikeouts to go with that upper 90s fastball and potentially could end up being traded at some point right now the Marlins are holding on to him and they're going to see what they can get out of him see if he can boost his trade value but as of now he's a bullpen guy if you've been a listener of this podcast I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans but you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Marlins fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Now on to prospects, and this episode's a little bit different. I'm just scraping the surface on a little bit of everything, given that it is the first episode. Uh, given that it's a daily podcast, it'll be a little different moving forward. I'd like to focus on specific things each day, and there will be a podcast episode coming up where I just talk about Marlon's prospects. From top to bottom, of course, guys like Sixto Sanchez all the way to Dioil Burgos. I really like to go into the nitty-gritty there, and we'll do that coming soon but right now let's just talk about those five unanimous top 100 guys that the Marlins have had get some recognition in the last couple weeks as those top 100 prospect lists have been coming out across the board Sixto Sanchez has been number one except for probably fan graphs which is coming up they really like Jazz Chisholm so that's always a little different over there at fan graphs they like to do things a little bit differently and I appreciate that 
but I think it's outrageous to not have Sixto as your top Marlins prospect. But focusing back in now on Sixto in the other lists, Baseball America had him rated the highest. He was 16th overall in all of baseball by Baseball America. MLB Pipeline had him just behind at 22. Baseball Prospectus a little bit lower on him at 27, but unanimously a top 30 prospect. And with reason, he has a fastball that gets up to the triple digits. He has a good arsenal of pitches, which he commands well. And he has shown that he can pitch at a very high level. And he's already put up great numbers in double A in Jacksonville this past season. Eight and four, a two, five, three ERA and a whip just over one, 1.029 to be exact. And I think one of the most impressive things about him is with that electric stuff, only giving up 19 free passes in 103 innings. So that translates really well to the big leagues. If there's only one question, maybe two questions actually with Sixto rather, the health of course, but he disproved that a little bit this season by pitching over 100 innings, 114 between single A and double A, 103 of those in double A. And that's something that was really a relief for the Marlins to see him build up those innings. He started a little bit late with the extended spring training throwing program he went under to start this season last year. Uh, the other thing with Sixto, though, is only 97 strikeouts in 103 innings last year. And when I say only, of course, 97 is not a small number in 103 innings in double A. But when you have the stuff that Sixto has, you'd like to see the strikeout number is a little bit higher. I think that's something that will continue to rise as he harnesses that secondary stuff a little bit more. Overall, Sixto, a guy that has ace potential. And while he doesn't need to push to the big leagues right now, he looks pretty close to big league ready. Uh, the Marlins rotation is pretty full as of now with Caleb Smith, Sandy Alcantara, Jordan Yamamoto, Pablo Lopez is now healthy, and the Marlins are going to want to get a look at Elysia Hernandez. So that rotation is full at the moment, but should any of them go down, Caleb Smith has had some shoulder issues, Pablo Lopez has had some shoulder issues, and those are obviously scary problems for pitchers' shoulders are a little bit more tricky than elbows. You got to assume if somebody goes down, Sixto Sanchez is going to be one of those first options coming up right next to Nick Neidert. But going now into the other prospects, J.J. Bladé, another guy who we didn't get to see too much of last year. Though the Marlins threw him straight in high A ball, I don't think any other prospect in that draft of this past year went straight into high A without at least getting a little taste of rookie ball or low A. And he held his own, hit 257 in 38 games, slugged three home runs, and an OPS of 690, not elite by any means, but to go straight out of college to high A ball, and not just high A ball, the Florida State League, which is probably one of the hardest leagues to hit in, predominantly known for the elite pitching. That's encouraging. And now J.J. Boudet is probably going to go right back to Jupiter this year, and he's going to be comfortable. He's already seen it for a fraction of a season, but he's going to have a taste of it now. He's going to know what to expect, and I expect a big year from J.J. Bladet in this coming season and could probably climb through the ranks pretty quickly, uh, especially given that he started in high A last year and just has shown he can hit. He's just a hitter. There's really no other way to describe it. Hit 350 his junior year at Vanderbilt and 26 home runs, a massive power jump, which he attributed to his time in the Cape League 
over with Orleans, the Firebirds over there. Hit 311 in the Cape, which is in a wood bat league, very impressive. That's also known as a, a pitcher's league to an extent, and he hit five home runs there. And when he was asked about what made that real jump, how do you go from four home runs in your sophomore season? Of course, he hit for a high average. He hit 368, so it wasn't like he wasn't hitting well. But four home runs to 26 is a very dramatic jump, and he just said he put it together in the Cape League with the wood bats. And to go from four to 26 is something, you you know, you, you wonder what else can he do? How much more can he jump? What other improvements can he make? Because clearly he has not hit his ceiling. And that the Marlins are excited about. They like their left-handed bats, and now their farm system is stockpiled with them. And we'll get into another one with Jazz Chisholm coming up in a couple prospects. He was one of those five that was tabbed top 100 across the board. So Blade, really exciting, could push to the big leagues as soon as next year, and a pure hitter, middle-of-the-order guy that the Marlins have plans for to build around. He's a cornerstone. And so at the top there with Sixto and Blade. Those are two that could be superstars, perennial all-stars in the big leagues. Of course, we all know the volatility of prospects, but the ceiling is indisputable. But when we go in now to the third prospect of the Marlins' top five, that's where it's a bit of a mixed bag. JJ and Sixto are always at the top two for every single prospect outlet besides maybe Fangraphs. Now for the third, sometimes Jesus Sanchez, but you'll see a little bit of Jazz Chisholm there. Some people like Edward Cabrera, but overall it seems like it's mostly Jazz Chisholm and Jesus Sanchez interchanging for that third spot in the Marlins top five. I'll start with Jazz Chisholm because he excites me a little bit more. A bit more polarizing of a prospect. A guy that could potentially hit 30, 35 home runs in the shortstop position in the big leagues, but Strikeout's a big problem for Jazz. Struck out over 30% of the time last year, an average just at 220 before being traded over to the Marlins for Zach Gallen. But over 20 home runs as a left-handed hitter, a left-handed hitting shortstop, that's really exciting. And he only has a 5'11", 165 frame, and he's able to hit for that much power. You wonder how much more he can fill out and how much more he can just find that strength and consistency in his swing. It's only up from here for Chisholm, but he's volatile and there's no way around that. He did hit 280 when he came over to the Marlins. It looked like he sacrificed the power a little bit for the average. And with the launch angle that he has, the power is always going to be there. If he can put on 10 more pounds, put a little bit more onto that frame, he could be a terrifying hitter at the middle of the infield. Gets a maybe a Francisco Lindor type of comp, 30-plus home runs, and really could end up impacting the middle of the Marlins order right there with J.J. Bleday. That could be a really scary one-two punch. Next up is Jesus Sanchez, the outfielder that came over in the trade with the Rays. Really toolsy. is really about projectability when you come to find some of those high rankings on him because he has not quite put it all together in the minor leagues, especially this past season. He struggled a little bit in Tampa, hit just 206 in AAA, but that was only 18 games. He did hit 275 in AA Montgomery before he came over to the Marlins in that trade for Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards. The Rays' willingness to let Sanchez go for a bullpen guy and a 
spot starter made me a little bit wary of Jesus Sanchez. And then you look at his numbers, it's a little bit discouraging to see what he did last year, though he did improve a little bit in New Orleans, but ultimately only 35 games in AAA last year. But all in all, 260 across the two levels and did not quite tap into that power. He has raw plus power, only hit 13 home runs last year, but really elite bat speed. If he can put it all together, work on the launch angle. So he also, if he puts it together this year, will be knocking on the door to make his debut. But now all of a sudden the Marlins have a really stacked outfield. So no reason to rush Jesus either. Only 21 years old too. And he'll start the season in New Orleans and try to put it together. Uh, I think for him, it's about consistency. In batting practice, he puts on a show. And he, you could see that raw power and that elite bat speed and just so much whip from the left side. But it hasn't quite translated to games, and that's something the Marlins are hoping he can do this year. Next is Edward Cabrera, who is typically fourth on most of the top prospect lists. I think he's a little bit of a different story than Jesus Sanchez. I think he's crucially underrated by most prospect outlets. He put up great numbers in high A ball this year or this past season, excuse me, 58 innings. He had a whip of just .94, and in, across 11 starts, struck out 73 in 58 innings. And those strikeout numbers were a little bit more of what you wanted to see out of six, though. Of course, Edward has a little bit more imposing of a frame, 6'4", 175, still filling out. And he's going to be 22 years old this upcoming season. He pushed his way into double A, and his numbers really didn't take much of a hit there either. Pitching alongside Sixto, he pitched 38 innings, and the whip rose just a little bit to just 1.06, and the strikeouts were still good. Not quite as elite, but 43 and 38 and two-thirds innings is very solid. And the command was pretty good there too. Not quite as good as Sixto's, but the strikeout numbers justified the little bit of lack of command compared to Sixto. And Edward is could really be another top of the rotation arm that is now forced his way into top prospect lists. However, he really is sitting around the 70 to 80 range. I've seen him as high as the 60s. However, he's really got the potential to shoot up into the top 50s this season. If he continues to strike out batters the way he did in double A, and he should be ready by next season as well if he continues on this track. So you pair him and Sixto in the rotation next year, that's scary. And that takes a little bit of the pressure off of these guys in the big leagues hitting. Caleb Smith becomes maybe expendable, although you do need that left-handed pitcher with Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers so far away. But maybe you can trade Jordan Yamamoto. Maybe you can trade Pablo Lopez. I don't want to be too quick to trade those guys. I'm just saying if Edward Cabrera and Sixto Sanchez continue to come up and look strong and look like they can make an impact in the bigs, the Marlins for the first time, and I can't remember the last time the Marlins had an issue where they didn't have enough rotation spots for their pitchers. So this is a nice little change of pace for Miami. And Edward will be alongside Sixto probably most of the way. He might lag behind him a little bit with Sixto potentially starting in AAA. Edward will probably start in double-A, but he can make his way up to triple-A pretty quickly as well with a continued dominance, basically, of all the hitters he's been facing. And last but not least, 
Some snubs. I think Monty Harrison was a little bit of an unfortunate snub. But it's understandable given the fact that he only played 58 games last year. He showed an ability to raise that average a little bit. Still strikes out a lot. I think that's something you're just always going to have to expect. 74 Ks in 58 games between the 56 games in AAA and the two rehab games in Jupiter. He uh, went down with a wrist injury and that slowed him down a little bit. But the power numbers were there. Nine home runs. He was stealing bases as well as he ever has. 20 stolen bases in 56 games. And Talk about a freak athlete. Monty Harrison was a three-sport athlete in high school, was committed to Nebraska to play football and baseball. His brother plays in the NBA, Shaquille Harrison. He plays with the Bulls, so he is undeniably an incredible athlete, and that's somebody that, if he puts it together, can consistently hit the ball. He has the potential to be a 30-30 guy as well. And you notice a little bit of a trend with these Marlins prospects. They, The, the organization likes those high-risk, high-ceiling guys. And you know, not all of them are going to hit. That's something you got to expect. It's just the way it is. But in a way, every single prospect is risky. There's no guaranteed hit on any prospect. J.J. Blade seems like a safe pick, but really... Nobody is safe in terms of prospects. They're just numbers and minor leaguers until they make it to the bigs. So the Marlins, that's their strategy. They like the polarizing, volatile guys, and they're willing to risk volatility for a higher ceiling. And we'll see if that pays off. We're getting closer to finding out if that pays off. But Monty Harrison, another potential outfielder this year, which is just wild. He was told he might have a chance to crack the opening day roster. He's going to get a shot in spring training. So if Lewis Brinson struggles, we could see a swap between those two. Lewis Brinson still has a couple options left. Monty Harrison could come up, and we'll see how he handles big league pitching. You know, in 2018, he led the entire organization. I think he led all of the minor leagues with 215 strikeouts. So he improved that last year with 74 Ks in 58 games. But that's something you want to see continue to improve. And he seemed to do a little bit better with that, playing in the Puerto Rican Winter League this past winter, 16 games. He only struck out 16 times, posted a 300 average, and it looked like he was working on the contact more than the power. He didn't hit a home run in 16 games. I'm not really worried about that. He did the same thing in the Arizona Fall League where he sacrificed power for batting average, hit 290, did not hit a home run there as well, and it looked like he was specifically making a concerted effort to work on that swing and work on the contact With a guy like him, as strong as he is, 6'3", 220 pounds of just all muscle, he's going to be able to hit home runs. It's easier to simplify things and then dial it up when you feel comfortable again than try and backtrack, and I think that's what Harrison's doing, and we'll see if it translates. Another two guys that I think could end up cracking the top 100, and I'll get much more into it when I cover all the Marlins' top prospects and one of the soon-to-be prospect episodes coming up. But I think Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers should be in the top 100 very soon. Two really good-looking left-handed arms that did really well in the Florida State League, struck out a lot of batters, showed good command, and we'll see how that translates into AA this coming season where I expect them both to start. Uh, So this is going to be interesting. The Marlins really have shown that they have one of the most improved farm systems in all of baseball. I'm excited to talk about that one in the coming episodes. There's going to be a lot of exciting episodes coming up. Some exciting guests that you can expect. It won't just be me all the time, so you're not just hearing my voice. 
But like I said earlier, expect more focused episodes in the future. I will get more into the nitty gritty, more into the advanced stats. I know I just scraped the surface in this one, but I wanted to just talk a little bit about everything so you could see what I think about the season, give you a little bit of an outline, but we'll start focusing in on specific areas in the subsequent episodes. Thanks for listening to this first Locked On Marlins podcast. I'm excited to do this season with you guys. A lot more to cover, a lot more to talk about, and a lot more excitement around this team. So stick with me on Twitter, at LockedOnMarlins. Tweet me questions. I'm going to open a mailbag with my email. It will be in the bio. I will answer questions every episode as well. Thanks again for listening to this first Locked On Marlins podcast. It's going to be a fun season.